Manola Dargis of the New York Times calls Hotel by the River quietly elegiac. A Cinema Guild release, Hotel by the River opens February 15th exclusively at the Film Society of Lincoln Center. National Geographic presents the Academy Award-nominated documentary Free Solo. Hailed by the New York Times as Extraordinary and the Seattle Times as a masterpiece nearly as impressive in execution as the climb itself, Free Solo is the winner of the American Cinema Editors Award for Best Documentary Feature and BAFTA winner for Best Documentary. Free Solo is now available on iTunes. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Nicholas Rapold, the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment. This is our latest rep report, and this month there's a bumper crop of excellent repertory offerings springing up around New York. We kick things off with two series at Anthology Film Archives. First, their annual Valentine's Day Massacre series, and then a series called In-Person Reenactment, which features Martha Coolidge's devastating film, Not a Pretty Picture. We also discussed some new movies about outsider musicians and the recently wrapped Film Comment Select series, plus the Jeff Goldblum celebration at Quad Cinema, and much more. I'm joined by Film Comment contributing editor and independent programmer Nellie Killian and Screen Slate founder John Derringer. Let's go to the conversation. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. This is our latest rep report, which, as listeners know, uh, is our look at all the wonderful offerings in repertory houses and, and other cinemas in New York, uh, where we're blessed with a number of riches, so we will you know, just go on and on about them. Uh, I'm Nick Rapol, the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment, and I'm very pleased to be joined by... Nellie Killian, Contributing Editor at Film Comment and Film Programmer. John Derringer, the founder and editor of ScreenSlate. Uh, yes, ScreenSlate is, uh, is our, our very happy partners in uh, talking about rep since it is your go-to location for seeing what is going on day to day since it is obsessively updated, <laughs> I'm sure through many, um, many hours of work. Where do we begin? I, I think February is, I don't know, usually a pretty good time, I think, in, in repertory cinemas because of there's not a lot going on <laughs> elsewhere. So I think people rise to the occasion. Um, one, I, we were just talking about uh, one program that happens every year in February, which is kind of fun to start out with maybe. At Anthology, they have a special Valentine's Day program. Yeah, it's been, I don't know how many years the programmer there, uh, Jed Rapport-Gol, has been doing this particular program uh, <laughs> called the Valentine's Day Massacre. It's been like four or five maybe. Yeah, but it, the lineup shifts, I think, uh, over the years, but the core double bill is modern romance and we won't grow old together, which I, I remember the first time they did this program, Jed remarking that they're the same movie with just like sort of wildly different uh, tones. But the core of sort of everything he shows in the series are these movies about couples that really should break up, but don't, <laughs> um, or it's protracted, uh, in some way. And, um, I think that's a little bit different this year. He's showing a couple of Paul Thomas Anderson movies. I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that the couple in Phantom Thread should break up, although it is definitely <laughs> a, um, a complicated relationship. That would be a good way yeah. to evaluate movies generally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I know Possession I joined the list of things that's yeah. in every year, which is another right. movie about, um, you know... A messy divorce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and some sort of alien f 
alien, I don't know what to call it, just monster, monstrous force that takes a yeah. gruesome corporeal form. And they've also included the Elaine May films, uh, The Heartbreak Kid, and um, A New Leaf for a number of years. I don't know if they were both in the first one, but um, yeah, those have been, seem to be kind of at the core now yeah. of this yeah. ongoing series. Yeah, I mean, I think it it is one of those things where, you know, there's no shortage of romantic films out there. And um, <laughs> it it is true that people, I mean, in my experience, like programming, people do go on dates around Valentine's Day and want to see yeah. like a screwball comedy or whatever. I know Metrograph is showing like a, you know, kind of a murderer's row of um, yeah. romantic films in the following, in the next week or so, everything from sort of Heaven Can Wait to um, Crash. Which Crash? Cronenberg. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the Cronenberg cra- Crash, yeah. I, I mean, well, I kind of wonder when people go to these movies, or especially like the Valentine's Day Massacre movies, are they going to like, they come out and they just like wipe their breath like, phew. <laughs> I think it's so much like, worse. I think it's a lot of people on probably like second Tinder dates who go to these. You know, it's like cool thing to do around Valentine's Day, yeah. but it's not too like high pressure because they're anti Valentine's. And right. then also like one year I went on Valentine's Day, the actual day to see uh, Modern Romance mm-hmm. by myself, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty packed. There were a lot of. Yeah, I would say it's like second Tinder date couples and just people by by themselves. Yeah, well, it, it kind of <laughs> serves a great double purpose, you know. If you, yeah, if you're going to modern romance alone, you're like, see, I'm right. <laughs> Albert Brooks agrees. With right. Me. Yeah. Um, well, sticking with anthology, I think there was one one other series that's coming up that sounded pretty interesting. There's one that's ongoing right now, ongoing. Uh, uh, a series that was co-programmed by Ivani Margulies, In-Person Reenactments. Uh, she was actually a professor of mine years ago, oh, really? and she's great. And the class I took with her was on theatricality in film and a lot about performance. Mm. Even then, she was working on this book that I, I guess has just come out that's about people who portray themselves in film, mm. uh, versions of themselves reenact or revisit um, events in their lives, sort of looking at uh, the sort of original tenets of neorealism and sort of how that has sort of mm-hmm. manifested over the you know second half of the 20th century to the present. So I know that they're showing uh, like Antonioni's film about suicides. It's oh. a short film. It was part of an omnibus. I forget what it was. Uh, City of Love because uh, in Antonioni's and it, it's a unusual Antonioni because it's like very like sort of Zavatini neorealism. Um, mm. He has these uh, women walk him through the sort of places um, that they were visiting when they tried to kill themselves, mostly over sort of love affairs gone awry. Mm-hmm. And sort of talk through, you know, the actual sort of attempt as well as sort of like what got them to that point and sort of the isolation and things like that. And um, yes, I, I believe that's playing with uh, the only film that uh, Zavatini actually directed himself, which I haven't seen, the story of Katerina. There's also, you know, of course, kind of the usual suspects, Jean Rouche and... Um, mm-hmm. Claude Landsman, um, they're showing yeah. the Karski report. Uh, oh, that's great. Which I think is a, a pretty interesting one of his to show since yeah. he's so, right. like, uh, the detail with which he describes um, sort of delivering this report on what, the situation right. in Poland and the situation 
with Jewish people in Poland sort of acting out all the roles of Roosevelt and everyone else who he's talking to, it really does become this yeah. very sort of, um, this performance really of this story of such sort of historic importance. There's also a couple, um, and you know, again, going back to usual suspects for a second, uh, Man of Iran, the uh, Robert Flaherty movie, and we have uh, <laughs> Close Up, the Karastami movie, another mm -hmm. sort of mm -hmm. obvious one for the thing. There are two films where Muhammad Ali plays himself, and there's also uh, another sort of deeper cut, uh, Martha Coolidge, the woman who directed Valley Girl and... Mm -hmm. um, Real Genius, a number of other sort of 80s hits. One of her early films from 76, Not a Pretty Picture, is a fascinating movie. And I believe it's playing It's playing on the 12th, um, which I guess will be before this runs. It's actually online. It's on Vimeo. So you can watch it, it there. Yeah. And it's a film that sort of combines docudrama and documentary where she is having this young teenage girl reenact uh, the rape of a student at uh, the high school that the director went to. Um, and over the course of this, you're going back and forth between these conversations that they're having about the shooting and these scenes that are being acted out. Um, you find out that the young woman who's playing the lead also was raped, and she sort of talks about the process of having to perform this, mm -hmm. like with the trauma, having experienced similar trauma herself. So it's um, a pretty rare film and one that I would definitely check out. And yeah, yeah all in all, just like a really, really fascinating series. Yeah. I I feel like Film Comment had a feature about Martha Coolidge where she might have talked about that film in the process of talking about a later film as well. Um, but yeah, that's, I, I think that's, I feel like that's also a film that's sort of being more discovered now or rediscovered, well worth seeing. What what else is coming up then, or or have we have we seen? I, John, you were talking some, about something interesting you saw outsider artist films. Oh yeah, I mean, I feel like I've I identified kind of a, a micro genre, <laughs> uh, film comment podcast exclusive uh, of uh, like outsider outsider artist uh, documentaries. So like you know, a few years ago there was a lot of stuff like Devil and Daniel Johnson. Well, I guess it's probably more than a few years ago at this point. Yeah, it is, there's a steady trickle <laughs> but, of, of, of outsider artist documentaries. Yeah, I, I mean, it was definitely like a, 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 a trend or a thing, but um, yeah, there's one uh, opening at Anthology next week, probably on the day that this podcast is going to come out, and then another one that I just saw at Spectacle. Um, the, the one that was showing at Spectacle was kind of like maybe technically like a work in progress screening, but uh, it was about a DC musician named Butch Willis, directed by Mark Robinson, who is a DC area musician who's been involved in like, you know, kind of like the hardcore scene and the music scene. He started a record label called Teen Beat. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, Butch Willis is a really, really interesting guy who... You know, I think in in his mind is kind of like a like a Bob Seger or like a Bruce Springsteen kind of figure, just kind of like classic uh, rock and roll. But yeah, has like a really uh, unique uh, poetic sense and a really unhinged method of performing and singing. Uh, his band had. Um, this guy in it who did this weird like throat singing, um, you know, almost like if you think of the electric jug and 13th floor elevators, but it's mm -hmm. like this guy making the, that noise with his throat. And I think it's telling that that's not even like the weirdest aspect <laughs> of this uh -huh. band. 
Um, that sounds. Re- what's the, what was the title again? Oh, it's called Amateur on Plastic, and it's okay. about uh, Butch Willis. Uh, and you can find some of his music on like Spotify or YouTube. I, I recommend mm-hmm. TVs from Outer Space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of the footage was shot by Jeff Krulik, uh, who a lot of people know from mm-hmm. doing Heavy Metal Parking Lot, yeah. and um, seemingly has a knack for finding these kinds of figures. And Jeff Krulik, I guess, was his manager uh, in the 80s. And a lot of the footage was shot by Jeff, who kind of advised on the film. Mm. I think because of the relationship between Mark Robinson, who apparently is also uh, the cousin of Michael Robinson, the video artist. um, That's a cool family. um, (laughs) Yeah, cool fact. Um, But I think because of that relationship, uh, Mark ended up making this film. And he's a first-time no experience kind of filmmaker and you know it it shows in that it's you know kind of rough i'm sure it'll continue to be kind of tweaked a little bit but Mm -hmm. um yeah it's a really heartfelt and interesting portrait of a really uh fascinating musician yeah and then uh so friday which may be the day this uh podcast comes out there's a film opening at anthology called the unicorn uh Mm -hmm. which is about peter grunzian who is also pretty well known in kind of outsider musician circles. He was on a compilation called Songs in the Key of Z, mm-hmm. uh, which is one of the kind of touchstones of that uh, genre. But so he recorded an album called The Unicorn in I think maybe 1976 uh, or thereabouts. And it's basically considered the first openly gay country album. But it's, you know, it has really rich and beautiful songwriting really interesting kind of lo-fi production that's really heavy on like reverb and um, like experimental kinds of arrangements. Uh, He's also the kind of person who tends to sing like almost totally off key, but also, (laughs) you know, write these really beautiful melodies. And um, I think generally speaking, that's kind of the only thing he's known for releasing. But uh, since then, he's remained a really prolific songwriter. And... um, So the reason I kind of call this an outsider, outsider artist documentary is that it originated as a project uh, for one of the filmmakers, Isabelle Dupuis, who I think she was maybe taking like a like a journalism, like adult education kind of class. And as an assignment, decided to kind of just go out and shoot some footage of someone Mm -hmm. interesting. And she knew about Peter and his music and just started filming him. And uh, then she got a friend involved who had a little bit more experience. And as they went and found him uh, in Queens, living with his father and his twin sister, a whole lot of like story happened, like a lot of really, really fascinating and riveting stuff. Uh, And at some point, her filmmaking partner kind of dropped out. And another filmmaker, Tim Garrity, who's credited as co-director, kind of came in and helped her shape the footage and shape the story. And they continued to shoot more and work on it more because even as they were kind of editing together rough cuts, a lot more happened. And and without really giving anything away, this... And I think also similar to the Butch Willis one, it's, it's not really a typical outsider artist documentary where you have like, you know, Thurston Moore, Jello Biafra saying like, this is the greatest album since the Velvet Underground and no mm-hmm. one's heard of it or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. light on talking heads and context and more like in the moment, kind of immediate storytelling. And Peter Grudzian's story is, 
you know, basically there, there's a lot to do with uh, sort of like mental illness, body image. I, I think his uh, sexual identity, um, his relationship to Stonewall really figures into it. And there are a lot of intimations of, I think, uniquely kind of 20th century historical traumas, um, particularly around things like electroshock therapy and um, his father, who seems to be kind of abusive and had grown up working in coal mines as a child in West Virginia. And um, just seeing all these things unfold into these really dramatic events that are happening in the present is... um, makes it like a really fascinating film. So it's, you know, it's definitely rough in the sense that it was, you know, shot by kind of amateur first-time filmmakers, but the way it's come together uh, is really remarkable. Mm. Wow. Those are, so that one's at... uh, So that one's in a week-long run, uh, like a premiere run at Anthology. Anthology, okay. And we'll hopefully be, you know, traveling around the country for film comment... uh, listeners around. One one can hope, (laughs) one can dream. National Geographic presents the Academy Award-nominated documentary Free Solo, a breathtaking portrait of climber Alex Honnold as he achieves his lifelong dream, climbing the 3,000-foot El Capitan of Yosemite National Park with no ropes. Winner of the American Cinema Editors Award for Best Documentary Feature and BAFTA winner for Best Documentary, Free Solo is an inspiring portrait of an athlete's quest to live beyond fear and a gift to everyone who believes that the limit of human achievement is far from being reached. Free Solo is now available on iTunes. Cinema Guild is proud to present Hotel by the River. In his 23rd feature, Hong Sang-soo crafts an affecting examination of family, mortality, and the ways in which we attempt to heal wounds, both old and new. Winner of Best Actor Prize at the Locarno Film Festival and official selection of the Toronto International Film Festival and the New York Film Festival, Hotel by the River opens February 15th, exclusively at the Film Society of Lincoln Center. At the Film Society, we had some interesting films we've been showing in Film Common Selects. At random, we opened with the Laszlo Nemes movie, the, the one he did after Son of Saul. And it's Sunset is the name, and it's set on the brink of World War I. Uh, and, I mean, if you've seen Son of Soul, you know that it's kind of full contact, kind of just no-holds-barred filmmaking in the sense that he plunges you in media res and, and you have to pick up clues as you go along. There are these, like, long, snaking handheld shots and tracking shots. That was actually an interesting discussion we had with him about choosing why to choose handheld versus tracking. And uh, he wanted to be absolutely mobile and and follow his protagonist. Um, so just like Son of Soul, which was about a, a man in a concentration camp who's gradually, you know, realizing that he, well, he he wants to bury a, a, the bo- someone's body with proper reverence, which is, seems to be impossible there. And simultaneously, there's like possibly a revolution going on, a revolt. Sunset is t- also pegged to a single person. It's, it's a young woman who's coming back to Budapest, uh, where she actually grew up, but then her parents died. Uh, they ran a hat emporium. Uh, and when she comes back, she tries to get a job at this hat emporium, which is this kind of symbol of like, you know, 1910s kind of European decadence, uh, just just the height of bourgeois respectability and everything. And she she learns that she has a brother she might not have known about, and that he, from what you can tell from the movie, he might be an anarchist or involved in some sort of anarchist cause. So this whole stew of like 
bourgeois and also like aristocrats interested in the in the hats and these anarchist forces that are just massing in the darkness you see like a couple of essentially terrorist attacks go on in the movie that uh it's it's just i haven't seen i haven't seen many movies that are able to kind of restore mystery to his, historical forces and why things happen. Um, I mean, usually, you know, we have movies that are kind of sh showing us a little bit cause and effect that this happened because of this, this was driven because of this famous historical personality, you know, um, something like that. This is a movie that's really trying to tell you that you don't know why things will happen. You, you, you know, we can try to explain why World War I happened. Lazo Nemes has this line in an interview. He said, uh, the movie's investigating why or how Europe committed suicide, which is how he kind of views the sequence of like World War I and World War II. Um, you know, there's, there's just promise of, I mean, obviously <laughs> Europe had problems let's say colonialism being one of them, any number of other problems. Um, but there was a cultural promise to like the, just the span of like the empire, Austro-Hungarian empire, where you had many different cultures that were kind of able to cross-pollinate, um, not to idealize it, but just like, how did that transfer so fluidly into such great horror? Um, and again, you can say, oh, it's very clear, this, this, and this. You shouldn't be surprised that there was wars among nations, and you shouldn't be surprised that there was anti-Semitism. And, and granted, all that is true, and, and people much smarter than me have explained all this. But just seeing a movie where you're pegged to one person's sort of naive perspective, and uh, but also you can tell that She's trying to decipher what, why, you know, why the world is the way it is. It's a distinctive experience. So that was Sunset, and it's it's coming out next month. So I kind of get a, a twofer here. It's a rep report feature, but also a soon to be new release. But that was that was something that was interesting. And then you know we in Film Comment Selects uh, the next night was High Flying Bird, a Steven Soderbergh movie that's uh, also on Netflix now which is just has a great cast. I don't know if anyone's caught any of it. Um, I haven't watched it yet. I'm excited too. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked uh, Unsane. Unsane. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stoked to see the evolution of the iPhones. The, the iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a movie in, in, in case you haven't heard the advanced publicity. Uh, it is shot on I, an iPhone, which is, is almost ludicrous when you think about like this, this, this scale of it, because it's a movie about the behind the scenes of a basketball lockout, you know, players and owners facing off as they, as they try to renegotiate con contracts. And Andre Holland plays this, you know, I don't know if he's a super agent or technically an agent. I don't know what the cutoff is. He's a very good agent. <laughs> and um, he's trying to get, uh, he's trying to get his client to keep hold on to his client, basically kind of ride through the storm. Um, but also he's trying to see if he can actually make this lockout, make the end of this lockout mean that players come out on top. So the whole movie is this kind of jockeying for position and wheeler dealing. And it's basically a movie that's all conversations and doesn't have the clear arc that you think it does. So you kind of get about an hour into it and you're like, wait, <laughs> where is it going? And then it does like a couple of magic tricks. It's, I, I think it's worth knowing that going in a little bit just because it has a kind of interesting structure in that way. Um, so he's great. Zazie Beats is great as well. She plays... Um, like an executive assistant. Did that play at Sundance? It played at Slamdance. Oh. Yes, the, uh, the you know, now somewhat venerable <laughs> upstarts <laughs> film festival alongside Sundance. Yeah, it premiered there and then, and then showed here in our uh, series. 
So uh, yeah, it's just pleasurable to watch as well. Um, the iPhone compositions are really interesting because he does a lot of shooting of New York. So it's kind of, I mean, it's interesting that we, we talked, I think last time about the city symphonies and <laughs> Soderbergh has always been unafraid to show New York kind of as it is. Like I, yeah. I, I might've said in another podcast, I cannot stand looking at the girlfriend experience, <laughs> like this, the New York that's there, the restaurants that are in it. And this is kind of the same. It's like a New York that's like, there's a lot of construction. They, like, they sort of walk through, I think they walk through Tribeca and, and around there and just not my favorite side of New York, but it kind of fits with the reconstruction kind of going on or the kind of rebuilding of, of the league that's going on and that New York is a place for deals and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Yeah, and that so many of them take place in sort of bad, boring-looking restaurants yeah. <laughs> and bars. I mean, I feel like that's it, it's a good point about the girlfriend experience. I I felt like it's like every interior felt like it was modeled after a stylish airport. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> airport, yeah, airport, the captain's lounge, right? Yeah. Yeah, and and just these sleek silver or or gray kind of interiors. I, you just kind of get the feeling that oh, this is sort of modeled on a bank vault or something like that. Um, but yeah, uh, that, that was, you know, another highlight of uh, film comment selects. There are plenty of smaller films, the hidden city, very great Spanish film by Victor Moreno that would put plop right perfectly in infrastructure week. Have we talked about infrastructure week? No. I don't want to go back to <laughs> anthology. Maybe we should save this one. So we're not too. Yeah. That infrastructure week isn't until March. I don't think. Well, we'll save it. Yeah, yeah. Tune in next time for the exciting news of what <laughs> infrastructure week is uh, actually a very cool series, but we'll, we'll talk about it in March. But yeah. yeah, that's, that's what I've been thinking about perhaps necessarily, but I mean, there are obviously interesting other series going on. Uh, did someone mention a Jeff Goldblum series? Is that just oh, started yeah, the quad? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Which I feel like he's, uh, you know, it's this sort of, I love Jeff Goldblum, of course. I mean, I, uh, I mean, who doesn't, <laughs> I saw him, uh, the most recent Jeff Goldblum, performance that really blew me away um, I, was his performance in Deep Cover, which I saw at the Bill Duke series at Metrograph. I know that's oh. playing also at um, the Quad. But he just brings this, like, totally unexpected energy to that role, you know? I mean, he's really just such a fascinating performer. Like, I mean, he's whatever. He's a, you know, great presence. But he's also one of these people... I, you know, it makes me sound like a grump or something. <laughs> but, like... Um, I just hate like when someone it's like someone's great and then they just become a meme. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I totally and, know what you mean. Yeah. And it's just Jeff Goldblum. Definitely. It's like, there's so many reaction gifts of him and right. you know, yeah, all yeah. of this stuff that like, I I'm so annoyed by and I try not to make it about him. He didn't make the gifts of himself. It's not his <laughs> fault. That we know of now. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> The, the Goldblum bot farm is... Um... <laughs> yeah. For some reason, when you're describing the, that phenomenon of someone kind of burning out quickly because of their, like, I don't know, memification, Christopher Walken comes to mind a little bit. Yes, oh, and that's yeah. actually... That's even pre-meme, sort true. of. Yeah. I also uh, think, like, um, you know, like Bill Murray sightings are kind of, like, mm -hmm. like viral, uh, yeah. folkloric, I don't know. Yeah. It's almost um, gotten to the point where sometimes someone takes a role and I'll watch, uh, see a still for it and see that they wear a crazy wig or whatever. And I'll just be like, right. 
I guess you're going to get the memes out of this one. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 It's kind yeah. of funny because like I was thinking, you know, for me, like I was born in 1985. So I always thought the first Jeff Goldblum movie was Jurassic Park. And, you know, for younger people, they probably know like Jeff Goldblum is like the guy in TV commercials directed by Tim and Eric or whatever. Right. right. Um, or if you go further back, he has the, the cameo about his forgetting his mantra in <laughs> Annie Hall or is it Manhattan? Uh, it's in Annie Hall is when they're in. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Wait, this does series. does that have both Jeff Goldblum and Christopher Walken? Oh my God, Annie they Hall? are both in like, well, wow. Christopher Walken's in Annie Someone Hall. should program that. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I mean, Sorry, film porn uh, beat us. Yeah, I'm trying to, I mean, it's like, it's this certain like eccentricity that you feel like you're kind of in, you know, in, in a club of, of that you, you aren't, you're getting it. You're both on inside, yeah. in on a joke. They're like, dis, they're distilling something that is like great about him. But I mean, yeah. I mean, to get back to what's sort of annoying about this is, uh, I don't think that Jeff Goldblum is like one note or simple. I think he's actually no. a very complicated, like yeah, good I actor. Yeah, like, totally. like I, I was saying what he does in deep cover, it's completely unexpected the way that he handles the role, the way that his character changes, like mm. over the course of it, like he's, it's a really good performance mm. that, uh, you know, isn't just like him, whatever. I, I mean, Jurassic Park has so many of the memes, but it it isn't just this kind of glib mm thing right. that now is like the sort of Jeff Goldblum thing. Yeah. But like um the series has like nothing but hits. I mean, obviously The Fly, Jurassic Park, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, all these things. I think one of the centerpieces is um Between the Lines, yes. which I think are they doing like a week long week long revival, revival of Between it? the Lines, which yeah. I think that Joan Micklin Silver has sort of been screened more and more in the last few years. Yeah, that's been which a good is development. so great because she's really such a good filmmaker. Um, Pester Street. Uh, Chilly Scenes of Winter. Chilly Scenes of Winter. Um, Crossing Delancey. Crossing Delancey, of course. Uh, yeah, Between the Lines got a whole run. And I, I think sort of interesting, we sort of launched doing this podcast shortly after The Village Voice went out of business. And this is a sort of one of the only sort of newspaper m movies about right. an alt-weekly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, a yeah. bit of a time capsule, unfortunately, now. Yeah. They're also showing one of my childhood favorites, Earth Girls Are Easy. Mm. Oh, yeah. That was on, I feel like, the USA Network all the time when I was growing <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. I rented it constantly. Right. Um, I was a little surprised there was no uh, Death Wish, because that's like an early... Jeff Goldblum's like the bad guy, mm. in that, or, you know, the original mm. bad guy before Charles Bronson. Yeah. But yeah. After other... But if you want to expand your Jeff Goldblum knowledge, if you're only familiar with him as uh, Independence Day, yes, or as the person <laughs> Independence who, Day too, uh, uh, life finds a way or whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot here. Yeah, spend a week with Jeff Goldblum. Is he come? I, I would hope he would show up, but I'm sure that's hard to arrange, being the busy man that he is. I think as a magical being, he might just <laughs> pop He's up everywhere. and yeah. He's just they'll like roll out a piano and <laughs> perform That's how you summon tunes. Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Play the right bars. Well, we're, we're sort of coming to the end of our, our, our allotted time. Um, I don't know if there are any other series that we want to make a shout out to. Uh, I mean, there's the Marlon Riggs series at, at BAM. Definitely a long overdue 
Yeah, um, yeah. And I think it's the I think it's in celebration of the 30th anniversary of Tongues Untied, uh, which is famous canonical work, uh, which is basically about, you know, like gay black identity and masculinity uh, within the black community, you know, kind of contextualizing it within the AIDS crisis as well. And um, that kind of Investigation, it's also continued in uh, Black Is, Black Ain't, which is also in the series. And um, that is a video that he shot partially uh, while he was in the hospital, basically dying of complications uh, from AIDS. But it's really powerful stuff. And I think, you know, in terms of it being overdue, you know, maybe his work doesn't screen as often because he does kind of work you know, in this kind of like video, almost like video art or like public television, you know, kind of format rather than being like what we would think of as like a traditional feature filmmaker. And I think one trend I've seen in programming is that, you know, kind of breaking down and more willingness to do mm-hmm. retrospectives or screenings of um, video or public television work within, you know, series more that, you yeah. know, or, or I guess modes that typically focus more on... Um, traditional theatrical feature films. But yeah, the series is, it also includes a program of work by uh, younger artists who are kind of working um, in his tradition. And I think it's traveling. I think it was organized as part of a larger initiative Mm -hmm. to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Tongues and Tide. Um, So I think listeners in other cities should keep an eye out for that. And then at the Museum of the Moving Image, there is an Edith Head series, which is just kind of a delightful assortment of classic Hollywood films and beyond. It's like all the best movies with all the best costumes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Can't Um, go wrong. Can't really go wrong with that. Um, Here at the Film Society, we have neighboring scenes uh, on the horizon in February, um, where you can finally see the next Carlos Regattas Oh, yeah. I can't wait for that. Our Time, which is... An opus that maybe I said a few, I don't know, heady words <laughs> when we were in Venice, uh, but it's a piece of work. <laughs> um, it's He plays himself. It is about his relationship with his... The, it is about a, a couple, perhaps based upon his own life, that are, have an open relationship. They're, they're married and they have a giant ranch. It's three hours long. Uh, they're bulls, uh, prominently featured. Uh, yeah. See it for yourself. I think also, uh, Metro, this isn't quite repertory, but Metrograph is putting out a um, two or three year old film by Claire Simon. Uh, it's the first release of uh, Metrograph's new distribution company that has um, a number of very exciting things in store, um, including The Aviator's Wife and um, uh, Hyenas and. Um, bunch of other films that are Bigger Splash, the David Hockney documentary uh, that I guess they'll be rolling out. But um, this Claire Simon movie, uh, we talked about her a bit um, because two of her films showed at first look at Momi last Mm -hmm. month. But yeah, I believe this is the first feature of hers um, that will be released in the United States, Mm -hmm. uh, long overdue. And um, about... uh, This is the graduation? Yeah, the the competition to enter this uh, sort of prestigious uh, Paris film school. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah, it's a real it's I it's yeah, it's 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 a film where you get to see 
aesthetic ideology at work. And I know that might sound dry, but I, it's really where you see a bunch of people selecting what sort of approaches they approve or don't approve of, and even kind of what sort of people they approve and don't approve of to be making movies, which is the kind of the more uncomfortable side of it occasionally. Yeah. And I believe the title has changed to the competition from the graduation. Oh, oh okay. Sorry. My yeah. Bad. Yeah. Just in case there's any confusion. Yeah. 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 That's definitely, she's, she's a really, that's another person that I, I mean, I first encountered the body of her work at True False, including this playground film that I feel like we've talked about. Recreations and Mimi. And Mimi. Yes. Yeah. The wonderful Mimi. Yeah, so that's that's good that that's going to be circulating. Another good another good example of how just because a film is one or two years old, it doesn't mean it's like dead and you can't give it runs. <laughs> I feel like there's a, there's a whole, always a whole range of films that people just decide don't have a pulse anymore um, because mm -hmm. they're one or two years old. So yeah, I think that probably brings us to the end. But another thing for Film Comments Selects, just because a lot of people, a lot of work went into it, uh, was the Lincoln Cycle, which is this like yes four-plus-hour um, silent film from 1917 starring and supposedly directed by Benjamin Chapin, an Abraham Lincoln impersonator, which is this kind of uh, sui generis sort of artifact, uh, you know, chapters from Lincoln's life. Um, and uh, anyway, it was, it was just a, a rare thing. It's from a Library of Congress restoration, originally sh showed at the Portononi Silent Film Festival, and yeah, it's hard to describe what it is. You could, the chapters are viewable individually. They're, you know, things like the first person he defended or like his, you know, relationship with his mother, that, that sort of material and some dicier stuff too. But, but uh, yeah, just a nice event. I know you guys also had a, a dog red carpet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, guilty as charged. Yeah, well, we it was very cute. <laughs> oh, you saw it? I, I saw pictures of it. Oh, you saw pictures of it, okay. Yeah. That's because we showed this wonderful film, Los Reyes, which is a Chilean film uh, set in a skate park. Two stray dogs were buddies. And yeah, it came together rather nicely that we were able to donate some of the proceeds uh, to a rescue um, organization. And they had a couple dogs there for people to, you know, meet, a uh, meet and greet and see, you know, maybe maybe you want a little little furry friend to go home with. That's, I don't know where to go with that, but it was nice. But uh, I don't know. I think probably that's about the end of our offerings for this installment, if I'm right. Yeah, yeah. no, I feel things are just uh, sort of ramping up again. Uh, I do think yeah. it slows down often with, uh, I think, there being so much focus on the end of the year on sort of these prestige movies and then sort of sun, you know, slow start and Sundance and everything. But I feel yeah. like we're back in the swing of things. We are. Yeah, indeed. Cool. All right. Well, thank you to our, our listeners. And uh, we do occasionally hear from, from, from uh, people who are patronizing their local art houses and rep houses. So we love to hear from you. Um, and thank you so much to you, uh, you Nellie and John. Thank Thanks. you. You've been listening to the Film Comet Podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comet is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comet has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomet.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comet. 
or check out our app available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.